This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hard lessons in finance. As hundreds of thousands of UK students get over their freshers' week hangovers, our money mentor looks at the money worries they could be mired in by the end of the autumn term. Students and parents, be warned. Plus, the new state pension. How will it work? And what are the changes money readers should be aware of? We hear from Steve Webb, the former pensions minister, and Malcolm McLean, senior consultant with Barnet Waddingham, as they go head-to-head in the FT studio. And the tax office's plans for a new digital dawn by 2020. How is the relationship between taxpayers and the UK tax collector set to change? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Josephine Cumbo, Adam Palin, and special studio guest Lindsay Cook, our money mentor columnist. Are you presiding over an empty nest? Or perhaps you've just flown the coop? Last week, hundreds of thousands of UK students embarked on their university journey, leaving home for the first time, but not all the lessons that they need to learn are academic. As the hangovers from Freshers' Week subside, students need to get a grip with how they handle their finances if they're not to run out of cash by the end of term. I'm joined by Lindsay Cook, author of our Money Mentor column, whose piece in this weekend's FT Money is required reading for parents and students alike. Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. Your column remarks that the word fresher has got an agricultural quality to it, like a crop ripe for harvest, as you say. But who is lurking with a scythe for those who are naive about their finances? Well, last year it was the payday lenders. This year it's uh, companies offering guarantor loans. The rates are a little bit lower, about 50% APR, but they're just as nasty and parents may end up with hundreds of pounds to pay that they didn't know about. There are also credit cards, banks offering interest-free credit. And you know what? These aren't as good as they seem. Credit cards, if you don't pay it off every month, you can have interest of up to 40%. And it seems incredible to me, and I'm sure it will to many of our listeners, that students are having to resort to payday lenders or to um, alternative lenders on the high street to make ends meet. I mean, is this surprising to you? It's getting worse. One of the problems is that not all the universities offer um, university halls for their first year students now. Um, So they're having to go out into the open market. Also, there are commercial 
um, halls, which cost a lot more. But even if you're in London and in the subsidised university halls, you still end up with something like £50 a week to pay for all your food, travel, the occasional book, the occasional drink, and it doesn't go far enough. Now, your organisation, Money Fight Club, has worked with students who have got into hot water. What are some of the problems that you've seen from their inability to budget? Um, The worst one I saw was um, beginning of um, last year. Um, A lad who went to university, he was in um, a shared flat because he couldn't get into halls. The other boys with him were from wealthier families and he kept pace with them. By the end of October, beginning of November, he'd run out of money and he initially didn't tell his parents, so he borrowed some more. But then he was able to get a grant, a loan. Um, He tried to rectify things by working and he got some quite lucrative work and he took every hour he was offered and he failed his first year because he was doing too much work trying to get the balance back. So now he starts his second year as a first-year student again. And sadly, another £9,000 down the drain in in tuition fees. Now, I mean, being too embarrassed to tell your mum and dad um, that you are in financial shtick um, clearly is something that we should all be worried about as as parents. But other than talking to our children about their money worries, what can students do to help themselves? Well, there are student money advice services at most universities and they should be able to help. CAB... Um, they get a, quite a number of students going through them. Um, even your bank may be able to help um, because you may not have taken out the interest-free loan just to tide you over. But talking to somebody, an older brother or sister, or even a younger one, um, somebody you trust and you can just offload because it gets worse and worse and people do daft things just to get themselves home for Christmas and worry about it. And certainly in um, the the FT Money column um, this week, we have a checklist um, of articles that students can do to help them learn to budget, including some online resources to resolve the issue of a lot of the income that they've got coming in being termly, i.e. every three months, and a lot of the expenditure they have being every month. And it's that mismatch that I think um, does unseat some of them. Now, renting a property, as you've said, is the single biggest expense that students will face. And some freshers may be alarmed to hear that the search for private rental accommodation for the second year usually starts shortly after Christmas, as demand is so great in some university towns. So what are your top tips for students living in house shares when it comes to managing their finances? If you can, try to um, share with people who are similar, people who are cold bodies and don't mind putting an extra sweater on rather than have the heating on piled high but um you need when you go in take a photograph of the premises to secure your deposit because landlords will often say that a place was in much better nick than it was Mm. um get all the names of the sharers on the gas and electricity bills because if you're the last one standing you are the one who owes the company the the bill have separate tenancy agreements because again if one of the others goes home and hasn't paid you may well be the one due to pay the bill um get your name on the electoral register yes this is a really good one because there's another factor other than voting yes because it raises your credit profile people you want to borrow money even to get a mobile phone if you're on the electoral register they know you really do exist and you have the name that you say you have 
Well, thank you very much there, Lindsay. You can read our Money Mentors full column, including a checklist of five things students can do today to wise up on their finances in FT Money this weekend. Still to come on the show, the tax office gets digital, but is it on track to hit its 2020 deadline? Before that, long-planned changes to the state pension are a hot topic right now, as millions of Britons receive new calculations of their benefits under the new system through the post. There have been some unpleasant surprises for groups including women and those who contracted out of the state's second pension, and many of you have been in touch with questions about what you should do and what will happen next. We tasked our pensions correspondent, Josephine Cumbo, to get down to brass tacks with the architect of the new system, former pensions minister Steve Webb, now director of policy at Royal London, and pensions expert Malcolm McLean, senior consultant with Barnet Waddingham. They met up in the FT studio this week to discuss the changes, as you will now hear. Steve, just to start with you, state pension reform wasn't on the agenda when you formed a coalition of the Liberal Democrats came into a coalition in 2010. What did you want to achieve with state pension reform? I think there were two big problems with the system we started with. One was immense complexity. Uh, nobody understood, you know, contracting out, SERPs, S2P, GMPs, all of this stuff was just gibberish to most people. So people actually didn't know what they were going to get in retirement. So we needed a system where people moved towards one where people knew what they were going to get that was fairer to women because many women generally got poor state pensions because of time spent caring and so on. And the other thing we had to fix was the link with auto-enrolment, because we paid a very low state pension and then had mass means testing in retirement, so people with small private pensions, it was hardly worth saving. And if we hadn't fixed that problem, automatic enrolment into workplace pensions would have failed. And it was a massive policy to, to pull together. What are the challenges that you had to overcome politically to get it off the ground? The key context is that, you know, whereas previous governments were running budget surpluses and had money to spend, we were trying to deal with a £150 billion deficit. So the one constraint I had from the Treasury above all was that this couldn't cost any money. And that meant that all the things that you'd like to do to simplify, to smooth the transition, to protect the past and move to a new simple future were just ten times more difficult. Malcolm, you've heard what the uh, objectives were and some of the um, challenges that Steve faced in getting the policy to where we are today. You've supported the need for state pension change, but what are your concerns about the policy? Well, I acknowledge uh, 100% what Steve has just said in terms of the concept of trying to get a a better, simpler, much more straightforward state pension than we've had hitherto. The present system is quite frankly, a bit of a mess. It's full of complexity. You've got different components which together add up to the state pension. And there really is a need to try and get out of this into something more sensible. I think the problem that Steve faced, and I pay tribute to him for for trying very hard to get to get this together is the dictate from the Treasury which said it had to be done at no extra cost which inevitably means that something has come along now which isn't quite what we thought was going to happen. Uh, The original concept as I understood it, many other people understood it, was that we would get rid of the basic state pension and have a much better, more generous, simple single state pension to replace it but it hasn't quite worked out that way and a lot of people at the moment are getting a little bit upset and frustrated about the fact that they're not getting what they expected to get and for some reason they are not uh, compl- I say for some reason they're not understanding it I think it's 
pretty obvious that this is still quite a complicated setup in terms of converting from the old to the new. In the long term, the single-tier state pension will be good. In the short term, it will inevitably confuse many people and many people will not get out of it what they expected to get. Steve, people are confused and disappointed uh, about not getting the full rate next year. Do you accept responsibility for that? I think there is confusion. I would certainly accept that. And part of the reason is is the one word is transition. In other words, the, the joy of pension reform would be a blank sheet of paper. And of course, you don't have that. And in particular, people would be furious if you tried to take away from them what they've already built up. So we had to honour the past, protect people's past rights, bring in a new system. And what we did was said in 2016, whichever is better, what you've got under the old system or what you've got under the new, that's where you start from. So in fact, for the vast majority of people, you know, some will be unaffected, some will get more, particularly many women who we, we were aiming for. But, you know, it takes some years to work through the system. And, you know, I'd have loved it if that wasn't the case. But without billions to spend, I don't think there's any other way of doing it. Ros Altman, your successor as pension minister, says that the job of explaining the changes hadn't been done well enough. I mean, do you accept the, the blame for the, for the lack of or the, the poor communication about the changes? Well, it was clearly a work in progress. And I think some people suggested that, you know, years ago this should have all been happening. And what perhaps isn't always appreciated is the Act didn't become law until the spring of 2014. And so that means law, Parliament doesn't allow you to start spending money communicating something that Parliament hasn't even agreed yet. So we've only had, or I only had, that final year of Parliament. We were doing a few other things, like getting the pension freedoms landed, keeping auto-enrolment going. But in that year, we issued over 100,000 statements to people telling them exactly what they were going to get. Since then, I'm sure that number's grown very substantially. I would have liked to send a statement to everybody. You know, I didn't want people not to know what they were going to get. I wanted everybody to know. But inevitably, that took time and it all had to be set up. Dealing with some of the specific concerns, uh, one of the state uh, pension aims of state pension reform was to, to get a better deal for women who don't do as well under the current system. But um, in recent weeks, it's been revealed that only 20,000 women next year are going to get the full state pension compared with about 130,000 men. So how is that fairer to women? Well, there are two different things going on at the same time, which again was was another complication we had. Women's state pension age was rising anyway. Uh, we added to that. And so in 1617, relatively few women will reach state pension age at all. So regardless of the reform, not many women will start to get a state pension in 1617. Now, actually, over half a million women will gain about £8 a week for the rest of their retirement under this new system. So that's £400 a year, maybe £8,000 over a 20-year retirement. This is serious money. Of course, I'd love it to have happened quicker. But if people aren't actually reaching pension age, of course, they don't benefit from new pension. Malcolm, do you think the system will be fairer to women? Um, not initially, no. Uh, one of the other changes, which we haven't quite mentioned yet, is the fact that uh, unlike the old basic state pension, where you required 30 qualifying years of national insurance, to get the new one, you need 35. Now, I understand the reasons for doing that, but it does mean that many people, and particularly women, uh, to, to, who are finding that their state pension age has actually gone back, might might find that there, there are, in fact, gaps in their in their record and they don't quite... Uh, get the, the 35 years and that means that they will get a reduced rate pension in consequence of it. 
Just turning to another complex area, which is causing a lot of confusion, and that's contracting out. And if you're listening, don't tune out because it's it's quite important uh, bit of information uh, to know about. Now, Malcolm, could you explain what contracting out is and what your concerns are about contracting out in the new state pension? Yeah, we're just picking up on something Steve said earlier about the fact that you, you can't take away rights that people have. Um, the, the problem here, as I perceive it, is this, that for those people who haven't contracted out, in other words, have uh, continued to just pay the full rate of national insurance contributions, they will have built up an entitlement to the second state pension, which we used to call SERPs. Now, as part of the conversion, uh, any entitlement to the second state pension uh, will normally be swallowed up within the new rate because it's added to the old basic state pension and it's only when there's an excess above it that they get it. So having, having decided to treat the second state pension that way, it then means that for those people who opted out of paying into the um uh, second state pension uh, and received a, a discount of it as it were from from the government instead that they have to uh, have a reduction made to be fair to those people who, who did in fact uh, pay into SERPs uh, to have a reduction from their starting point of the new state pension that has meant that many people are suddenly finding that uh, they're, despite the fact they may have uh, paid 35 qualifying years and in fact um, w- or will do so in, in, in the future finding that they're actual starting point is less than the full rate because of these deductions that have been calculated to represent the rebates or reductions in national insurance contributions that they've been given uh, in in, in lieu of um, receiving the second state pension. Malcolm suggesting that you didn't get it quite right there with contracting out. How do you respond? Well, just to be clear what contracting out is, it's saying that in the past you're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or work for a big company and you had access generally to a very good pension occupational scheme, often a final salary scheme, you are one of the winners in life's pensions lottery. That's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is you paid less national insurance than your next-door neighbour. So why should you get the same pension as your next-door neighbour? That wouldn't have been fair. So what we said is we have to do something about that, the fact that some people paid less NI, so you can't just hand them a full pension when there's no money to spend. But on the other hand, we didn't want to keep this contracting out in the system for decades. So we said, we'll do it once. We'll get to 2016. If you paid less into the system, you'll get less out in the system in 2016. But after that, everybody's the same. A year is a year is a year, and you build up towards the new flat rate. That seems to me the fairest compromise in a system where we didn't have money to spend. Finally, Steve, when do you think that this system will deliver uh, a fairer and more generous state pension? Well, by the end of this parliament that we are in, the majority of new pensioners will get the flat rate. So, you know, it can take decades. You know, when SERPs was created in the late 1970s, it took decades to, to reach maturity. I'm saying within five years, four years of the new pension coming in, the majority of new pensioners will get the flat rate amount. So it will progressively improve, but I think that's a huge step in a short period of time. And Malcolm, how do you think this policy will be viewed in 20 or 30 years? I think once we get through the transitional stages, uh, it will be seen as a a simpler scheme, certainly uh, easier to understand. It is redistributive in nature, of course, and it does mean that for many, if you like, middle class professionals, younger people, that they will end up with a a state pension which is rather less than they would have got under the existing system. So there are both winners and losers out of this. In the long term, uh, it will be easier to understand, but many people won't actually gain as a result of it. Nonetheless, I think it has been necessary to do something about the 
present complicated, com convoluted, confusing system, and this is a good step towards it. It could have been better, it could have been done in such a way uh, we wouldn't have had to make deductions for contracting out because we would have perhaps bought out uh, arrears of uh, SERPs or S2P separately, that, but that would have cost more money, and obviously Steve was very restricted as to what he could do by the Treasury dictate. So he's made, he's made a good job of... Uh, of um, well, not quite a bad job, but a, go a good job of, of, of trying to get something out of this which does make sense, people will understand in the long term, and eventually we will have a simpler system. Thank you very much for joining us today. That was Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pensions correspondent, speaking to Steve Webb and Malcolm McLean. Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, which is widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read us online, ft.com slash money, and follow us on Twitter, at FT Money. When was the last time you talked to the tax man? With millions more of us dragged into self-assessment every year, communicating with the tax office is often fraught with difficulty. In response, HMRC has big plans to transform the way it interacts with taxpayers with a digital deadline of the year 2020 when many services it's providing will be provided online. I'm joined by Adam Palin, FT Money reporter, who's been looking into this story. Adam, what changes can the humble taxpayer expect to see between now and 2020? Well, Claire, the self-assessment taxpayers in particular have been promised a lot uh, and the, the Chancellor committed earlier this year to an end to tax returns by yes. 2020, which is a pretty bold assertion. By all accounts, uh, the, the, the tax professionals I've spoken to, they say it's very ambitious, but it is possible. Now, in the place of the paper return, as you say, we'll be going online, and the first step towards that uh, has already been taken, and that's pre-population of, of information that you might otherwise be filling in yourself. So this tax year, if you're self-assessed, any PAYE information um, that you might have had to fill in yourself, that will actually, in the next return you fill in, already be in, in, the, uh, in the online form. OK, well, that's a start. Um, but what other changes might different groups of taxpayers expect to see further down the line? For example, buy-to-let investors. You've been finding out a bit about how things might change for them. Yeah, quite. Well, actually, the online tax accounts are going to be for all taxpayers. So not just the self-assessed, but even those within the, uh, the, the cosy uh, arms of PAYE uh, will all have this this online account that we can log into. And if, for example, you're you're one of those embarking on the uh, the, the the possibilities of the sharing economy, and maybe you rent out a spare room, or indeed you're you're a buy to let landlord, for example, you might have to self assess that income at the moment. But actually, what what's being envisaged in the future, because that it isn't collected directly by the revenue uh, in any other way, you might have an app that might be connected to your estate agent, say, or Airbnb, if that's if that's what you're doing. And that app will be designed specifically to um, coordinate with the revenue software, and it will automatically transfer details of your taxable income. And then you'll see it when you log into your online tax account, you'll see how much tax you owe. So less chance for anyone to pull the wool over the revenue's eyes. I mean, presumably... That's why the revenue is pushing this. Yeah, it's a big part of it. Uh, there's a lot of pressure um, to, to get down the tax gap. That's the amount, the difference between what the revenue thinks it should get in and the amount that it does. A lot of that's obviously lost to evasion. Uh, and there's there's probably a little possibility that this will actually crack down on, on the black economy. 
But what it will reduce is the, the billions that are lost every year through errors, uh, perhaps through avoidance. And they've got tools such as uh, their Connect system, which was designed by BAE Systems, the defense group. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty um, it's pretty well recognized that it, it's, it's cutting stuff. And um, they say it's already brought in three billion pounds in extra revenues. And what it does, it's joining the dots between bits of information that they have collected either directly or indirectly from taxpayers, mm. seeing whether it all matches and where there are anomalies, they're tax inspectors of course there, there are fewer now uh, after uh, austerity um, they can cherry pick who they who they uh, want to investigate further and, um, and and then go after so yeah. effectively an algorithm to make up for the cut 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 to the hmrc budget Quite. Um, but there's one group we haven't spoken about which we'll finish on the digitally disenfranchised those people perhaps older pensioners who don't have access um, or don't know how to use um, in websites, apps, digital forms of communication. What about them? Well, exactly. And a lot of groups like Age UK say there's a, a natural and understandable uh, suspicion, if not um, incapacity, to, to go online for a lot of people. Uh, their concerns stem um, from the, the, the general trend towards online, but also some tangible concerns like earlier this year, uh, you, you could start claiming for the marriage allowance, which is essentially a tax break for married people. Uh, for the first few months, you could actually have, uh, only apply online. And after a few months, you, you can now do it by the phone. But they were saying, well, you know, this is pretty discriminatory for people who don't go uh, online to uh, to do their banking uh, like the majority of us do. I mean, that that's the, the, the counter side of this. The revenue do point to research saying, well, 63% of taxpayers last year went online first in their dealings with the revenue. Um, but there's still then, 37% of people who didn't. Well, there are, and actually a lot of um, a lot of groups like the self-employed, who aren't necessarily just older taxpayers, but they're they're particularly um, digitally disenfranchised, need help with them with filling in their returns. Well, some issues to think about there. You can read Adam's full report on the issue in this weekend's FT Money, um, the digitisation of tax. We'd love to know what you think, not just about tax, but about freshers learning to manage their finances and changes to the state pension, and about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney, and you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website, ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition. The property map that's going viral on social media. Which London tube stations still offer one-bedroom flats to rent for less than £1,000 a month? And our new money-saving column, at FT Thrift, shows how what looks like a piece of junk mail could actually be worth up to £300. Plus, we've shared tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Joe, Adam and Lindsay. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.